On this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we discuss the latest news and information, including the proposed CMS-ASC-HOPD payment rule for 2022, and in our focus segment, discuss leadership development with Lori Rodericks and Ann Geyer. Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. This episode is sponsored by Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers and ambulatory healthcare strategies, the nation's leading regulatory compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, please visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. Welcome to episode 136 of the ASC podcast with John Gailey for July 20th, 2021, recording from our studios in Spencerport, New York. This is Susan Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC podcast with John Gailey and Senior Nurse Consultant for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Joining me is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, recognized as one of the nation's leading experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. Mr. Gailey is the author of over 10 books on the ASC industry and a frequent industry speaker on regulatory, accreditation, and finance issues. So I know this has become common for us to say this, but we have a big week ahead of us here. We're recording on actually Tuesday, and later this week on Friday, we have our uh, annual infection control conference. Uh, that's a live conference mm-hmm. on uh, Friday, July 23rd. And this is Infection Control 101, which is meant to be kind of a introductory uh, infection control conference or the type of conference that uh, that people need in order to demonstrate that they've been trained in how to mm-hmm. uh, do infection control oversight in an ambulatory surgery center. Yeah, very important right now, especially. Right, right, exactly. And uh, Sue, you and I and Lori Rodericks are going to be uh, working on it. Lori does most of the content there mm-hmm. since she's the certified infection control coordinator. But uh, we have an inimitable style, don't we, for our conferences, <laughs> which uh, allow us to not, you know, kind of stay away from that whole webinar format where mm-hmm. we have uh, more interaction where we can we talk uh, among the three of us during the conference and of course in, invite you know lots of conversation with our audience mm-hmm. we have quite a number of people signed up for it so it's actually going to be uh, quite excellent uh, well over twice as many people as we had for last year's mm-hmm. conference in April of 2020 and if you uh, can't make it on Friday uh, you still have time to sign up uh, if you uh, listen to this uh, recording before Friday and Monday I should say there are two uh, two separate conferences mm-hmm. here so you still have time to sign up um, but if, you, if you're not able to attend live, we will have a, a recording available also. Uh, the price will be the same for the recorded or for the live conference, mm-hmm. uh, but that'll be available within the next couple of weeks. Uh, this conference, uh, the one in 2020, was by far our most popular mm-hmm. uh, virtual conference that we presented all of last year. Now, do you have anybody signing up for just, just the 201? Is there anybody you yeah. recommend doing that? Yes. Uh, so usually what, what we find is uh, in the beginning, for example, we actually had more people signing up for 201 and mm-hmm. then, then the, for whatever reason it shifted. 201 is kind of designed for those people that have already gone through uh, like an introductory, introductory infection control mm-hmm. uh, course. 
and don't need the IPCH credits, for example, okay. if they just need, you know, uh, uh, one day's of uh, IPCH credits. But if you're an infection control preventionist, you need to demonstrate not only that you have initial training on infection control oversight, but you also have ongoing training. Mm-hmm. So the purpose mm-hmm. of our two conferences, which we will be doing every year from here on out, is that we revise our regular conference mm-hmm. that gets people prepared to be an infection control preventionist. And we also have the update that they'll be able to use to demonstrate ongoing uh, training in this area. Mm-hmm. So, And to get those credits, which is really important. That, that's another uh, really big deal here is that anybody that is CAPE certified, uh, they're going to get seven and a half credits for 101 and 7.25 credits. So you can actually get uh, almost 15 credits between mm-hmm. the two conferences, uh, which will go a long way toward getting the number of uh, credits that you need in order to maintain your certification. Lori's working very hard on this conference. She uh, puts a lot of time into it. She's always so nervous, and yet she does so well. She I does don't know. Do it. It's so funny. She just comes off as so comfortable and, and likable. I, I love seeing her conferences. But, yeah, and people love her, and she's, and she's got a great sense of humor, which you kind of need when you're, when you're talking mm-hmm. about this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, And by the way, for those of you that are CASC certified, uh, we are also offering the same number of AEU units on uh, clinical care. So uh, again, you'll be able to get it for your CAS certification or for your IPCH certification. So for more information, go to ASCPodcast.com or follow the links that I'm going to include in the show notes. And then, Sue, the Administrator's Boot Camp is coming up very fast. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, the Administrator's Boot Camp that we did in January was very successful. Yes. Uh, we have as many people signed up for this one, and we're still about four weeks away from the conference, I think. Uh, so we we're, we fully expect it to sell out. Uh, we did increase the number of people that uh, mm-hmm. we're including in it for the August cohort. but uh, And we get more and more participation. I just I, I, we I do. think it gets better each time. Well, it's because you get better at it. That's one of the things <laughs> you've been very good about, uh, coming it. up with ways to keep people engaged. And uh, you had this idea with the boot camp in January mm-hmm. that we unfortunately didn't do until the last day where we just brought everybody in uh, at breaks. And uh, mm-hmm. that was very successful. It worked yeah. very well with the director of nursing boot camp. We will have another director of nursing boot camp later on in the year. I don't have a specific date for it, but uh, mm-hmm. we will We'll be announcing that shortly. And we mean by turning on the Zoom camera right. by bringing everybody in just so everybody can see who's there. Because I guess you can't even see the list of participants That's otherwise. Correct. So, yeah. you know, people didn't know. I think they were intimidated, didn't know if there were a whole lot of people or yeah. whatever. And, and it just makes it better the more people can. And you don't have to turn the camera on. Like, you know, mm-hmm. not everybody nope. turned the camera on or no, not everybody spoke. Yeah. Uh, but it's an option that you have. And one thing mm-hmm. that we should point out for both uh, for all of these conferences mm-hmm. is that if you can't make it for part of it, and that's yeah. the real life, you know, the real life is, is that you're probably doing it during uh, your work day mm-hmm. and uh, you have to go away. The good news is that in all of these conferences, mm-hmm. you do have access to the recordings for three, six months afterwards. Yep. Um, and then, Sue, uh, we're going to be doing a focus segment today on leadership in the ASCs, which uh, I think it was, oh, man, I think it was back in May. Lori Rodericks and Geyer, uh, you and I uh, got together. I think you had to leave, though, so I don't think you were actually in- included in this uh, mm-hmm. particular uh, conversation that we're going to have in our uh, after our break. Uh, but we got together to talk about leadership in the ASC, which really ties into what we're just talking about with these conferences that we're doing in the next couple months here. Uh, so um, we're very excited about it. But we need to announce something that we just haven't really announced and that is uh, our dear friend Ann Geyer, uh, registered nurse and uh, very well known in the industry, uh, joined Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies back in uh, June of, of this year. 
And uh, we just haven't made a big deal about that. I mean, I think everybody knows it by now, but uh, we thought we would kind of mention that during the podcast here. So uh, her debut is going to be in this podcast during our uh, our second segment. And so I just also wanted to mention that we are working on two other projects right now, a medical director conference, which we hope to be later this year. Mm-hmm. It probably will be on a Saturday since we recognize most physicians just can't get away during the week. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be like a nine to three. It's not going to be a full day, but it'll be, uh, and it'll be the same type of format where, you know, we'll have a lot of interaction. Um, It'll be recorded. So if you can't be there the whole time, you'll still be able to have access to it. Uh, We've had a lot of feedback from our clients who we've uh, asked if they would be interested in in this. And uh, I expect it'll be a very popular conference also. And then we are in the beginning stages of developing a leadership conference sometime later uh, this year, maybe early next year, depending upon the timing here, uh, which will be, you know, really focused on leadership type discussions. While there's going to be an education component to it, there the leadership conference is meant to be an interactive conference where, you know, we get together leaders in the ASC industry, uh, leaders of today and leaders of tomorrow mm-hmm. to discuss uh, issues that are, are coming up in the future of the industry. So we're very excited about that. So probably the biggest piece of news um, is, of course, uh, yesterday, we're recording this on Tuesday, but on Monday uh, of this week, the uh, CMS released the proposed payment rule for 2022 for ASCs and HOPDs. But before we get into that, Sue, I did want to mention that on July 13th, a couple weeks ago, CMS released the proposed rule for the 2022 Medicare physician fee schedule. And unfortunately, this... uh, Fee schedule called for a reduction of a little more than three and a half percent, or actually closer to three point nine percent. Most of the decreases because of the expiration of a three point seven five percent decrease due to the conversion factor that was supposed to take effect at the end of twenty twenty one, but it was stopped by Congress as a result of the pandemic. Uh, so while this doesn't directly affect ASCs, you're going to find an awful lot of uh, discussion out there from physicians who are quite upset about the reduction mm-hmm. in their fee, their fee schedule, especially given the inflation that we're all experiencing right now. I think I filled the tank up in the car the other day and it was uh, over $50 and uh, it wasn't even empty. So um, cer- certainly uh, we know that inflation, especially in healthcare supplies too, and and the money that we're spending on you know PPE now, I, I mean, it's, it's had a huge impact on, on our bottom line in terms of the cost of supplies, as well as seeing it in our own lives. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure the physicians are not happy about that. And that's going to put pressure on them to seek other revenue sources, which would include trying to get more profits out of the surgery center. So just Mm -hmm. keep an eye on that. So as we mentioned, uh, the 2022 proposed HOPD ASC payment rule came out on Monday, the uh, 19th of uh, July. It's a little bit late. Usually it comes out at the beginning of the month, but it is earlier than it came out last Mm -hmm. year. And I guess I should point out that annually... Just a little bit of background here. Medicare sets the rates for the following year, and they make a proposal in July of each year, and then they finalize the rule in, in November. So what we're seeing here is the proposal for the 2022 rates. It's not a, a permanent. It's not set in stone yet, but it sets the tone for the conversation, and uh, we will have an opportunity to make comments uh, to mm-hmm. CMS about this. And I'll talk about the the non-financial aspect of this. Um, so it's important not only for the payment, but also because the payment rule sets other regulatory requirements, like the Medicare quality reporting and Medicare 
allowable procedures. So those are two big ones. Right. So I think a lot of times people think that this is uh, this payment rule is only for the finance people mm-hmm. in our surgery centers, but it does impact all of us, and it yeah. really is important. And I think Sue, that's one of the challenges that we have. And in the podcast, I think we've been doing a good job lately of trying to to show both the finance side and the uh, the, the yeah. regulatory side here. So let's start by talking about the payment rate update now. It's important to remember, too, when I tell you how much the increase is going to be, because of the way the rate setting works, it's not going to be across the board. So you're not going to see all of your rates go up by 2.3%. That is the increase this year. Uh, You're going to see it go up by an average of Uh 2.3% across the board. Uh, And that's going to be dependent upon the procedures, the specialties, and things like that. CMS is proposing to update the hospital outpatient payment rates that as long as they meet the applicable quality reporting standards by this 2.3%. And it's based upon a projected hospital market basket increase of 2.5% reduced by a 0.2% decrease for productivity adjustment, which they make every year. So 2.5 minus 0.2 comes down to 2.3%. Now, those of you that listen to the podcast regularly know that in 2019, CMS finalized a proposal to apply the same hospital market basket mm-hmm. update to the ASC yeah. payment uh, system rates. Which is a good thing, right? It that is. was something you had hoped for. Because the old ones were based upon um, the cost of living adjustment, which mm-hmm. is urban cost of living adjustment, mm-hmm. which is really for, you know, food and, you know, things yep. that, totally that we different. use in our home, not what we use in the healthcare field. So this was a very good thing. And uh, it's an interim uh, program. I think we're in year three three of it right now, an interim period of five years. Uh, so, And CMS is therefore increasing our rates by that same 2.3%. Now, it is also important to note that the proposed update applies to ambulatory surgery centers that meet the quality reporting requirements. So we talked in May about the importance of doing all the filing of the Medicare quality reporting uh, measures. Hopefully everybody was able to do that. I know it was very challenging to try to get into the system, but once you got into the system, the reporting was was actually not very difficult. Uh, but if you did not report, then you would not be eligible for the full amount of this update. I think they reduce the update by 2%. So instead of getting a 2.3% update, you would get a, a 0.3% update. So that's one of the biggest incentives of making sure that you file your ASC QR, your Medicare quality reporting Mm -hmm. data. Now, interestingly here, too, is because of the pandemic, CMS proposes to use the 2019 data from the hospitals as part of the rate-setting methodology instead of the 2020. And this makes perfect sense because the data that was reported in the hospital cost reports for 2020 is going to be dramatically very unusual, shall we say, and probably not very representative since the types of cases they were doing during the year weren't representative of what we normally do in a year. So I think it made a lot of sense for them to use the 2019 data. Now, some people ask me, well, why are we using the hospital data for doing the rate setting? That's because ambulatory surgery centers don't prepare cost reports unless you're in the state of New York. And though there has been proposals for doing cost reports, that has not happened. So the only information they have to adjust this information every year or these these, uh, rates every year comes from the uh, hospital cost report data. So, Sue, let's uh, go through the various uh, uh, things that are included in the 2022 payment rule. Okay, so first there's the elimination of the inpatient-only list. You might remember that as part of the 2021 final payment rule, CMS decided to phase out the inpatient-only list, um, but it's received a number of comments suggesting that it was not in the patient's best interest to do that. So CMS is proposing to halt the elimination of the IPO, or the inpatient-only list, and after clinical review of the services removed from the IPO list in 2021, they propose to add back 
all of the 298 services removed from that list in 2021 um, back onto that list beginning in 2022. Yeah, so that really is not good news, I think, for most, uh, most of us. I yeah. think we've been making the argument that the inpatient-only list is uh, outdated, uh, but the hospital lobby certainly went to mm-hmm. bat and said uh, eliminating that list is probably not in the yeah. best interest of patients. I do understand where they're coming from, mm-hmm. uh, but if you actually get into the into the nitty-gritty here, you'll see that it was done very appropriately. Uh, CMS stated that this change in policy would ensure that any service removed from the IPO list has been reviewed against Medicare's longstanding uh, IPO list for criteria to determine if it's appropriate for Medicare to pay for the provision of the service in the outpatient setting. Well, I just hope they're following the numbers and the data and not just um, who has a lot of money to lobby. Yeah, exactly. Well said. And furthermore, CMS is proposing to codify the longstanding criteria for removal of procedures from the IPO list to make clear in regulatory text how we will evaluate future procedures for removal. So so that does sound promising, mm-hmm. assuming that we can trust that they're going to make some good decisions yeah. as they're going through that. And there is some language. I didn't get in. I mean, the, the, the whole regulation, the proposal is, you know, hundreds of pages long. I didn't want yeah. to get in a lot of detail. But there is some proposals for the mechanism that they're going to use for updating that list, and that did okay. look promising. So, Sue, this is the exciting part. This is the part that you spend a lot of time on, the Medicare ASC Quality Reporting Program Update. Exciting only from the standpoint that there hasn't been a lot of changes over the last couple of years, but not so exciting from what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the ASC QR program, just a reminder, it requires ASCs to meet quality reporting requirements or receive a reduction of, of two percentage points in their annual fee schedule update if these requirements are not met. And we have to remember, too, that the, the ASC Quality Reporting Program, which we use the initials ASCQR, is a pay-for-reporting quality program. And it, eventually, um, the intention of the program is that they're going to pay for quality so that the mm-hmm. quality measures that they're using will be used in the determination of what your future rate updates will be. Yep. But since its inception, it really has only been a pay for reporting or and a not pay for, not reporting, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that, as we mentioned before, and as you just mentioned again, if uh, if you don't do the recording, uh, you're going to get a 2% reduction. Remember that 2% reduction permanently reduces the base that you're going to have moving yeah. forward. So yeah. uh, it is important that you do this recording. I don't know that we can stress that enough. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go through what some of those changes are. So CMS is proposing to adopt one new measure. No big surprise here. Mm-hmm. So the COVID-19 vaccination of healthcare personnel will begin with the 2022 data collection. I'm assuming that this is similar to the uh, mm-hmm. the flu vaccine program that had been done through NHSN yeah. before. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have any more data on it, or at least I haven't read enough information to know how they're going to do that collection. But that is uh, something that uh, I, I think we all expected and uh, certainly makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And they're going to make... Um, the reporting of six voluntary or suspended measures um, will be mandatory again. CMS is requesting comment on the quality measures for pain management procedures performed in this setting. Yeah, so th- there is nothing yet with the the pain management, but they did indicate in the r- rate setting that that's something mm-hmm. they're going to look into. So CMS is proposing to restart the reporting of the ASC. One ASC two ASC three and ASC four measures beginning in 2023, and they're going to be doing it apparently using a web-based submission system similar to the system that they're using mm-hmm. for the other measures instead of the claims-based uh, methodology that they used before. Okay, and just to remind everyone: ASC one is patient burns, ASC two is patient falls, 
ASC3, wrong site, wrong side, wrong patient, wrong procedure, wrong implant, and ASC4 is hospital transfer ad- or admission. Right. And and that reporting has was done for quite a number of years. Mm-hmm. So many, uh, I know many organizations actually didn't stop the reporting. It was still voluntary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure that most, hopefully everybody still has the processes in place. Mm-hmm. They just have to restart it. And they really weren't finding big issues. So that's, I think, why they held off on it. Well, and I think that's one of the reasons we had mentioned this when they did mm-hmm. away with it, that we were kind of sad that they did because those are things that were particularly good mm-hmm. and that it was good to have those statistics out yeah. there. Now, a difficult one is now they're going to require or they're proposing to require that ASC 11 cataracts improvement in patients' visual function within 90 days following cataract surgery. Um, they're proposing that that becomes mandatory beginning in 2023. So this is going to be quite problematic, I think. Uh, it is currently uh, voluntary. I don't know if certainly none of our clients uh, voluntarily reported this mm-hmm. because of the difficulty Difficult, of doing yeah. this. Uh, the challenge is, especially for centers that, I mean, if, if your surgery center is owned by the practice, you mm-hmm. have ready access to this information, but maybe not because you do see the patient, you know, a, a couple days or a day after the procedure is done, but you don't necessarily see them. 90 days later. Yeah. Uh, so that information is going to have to come either from the primary care doctor or an ophthalmologist or mm-hmm. optometrist, whoever else is doing that yeah. that testing afterwards. So I I don't know how this is going to work. And, you know, you and I were talking about this uh, yesterday. The, the problem with this is, again, this is a quality measure that's meant to determine and, and to impact our rates. I don't think it's fair that Let's either look way. at it this way. Yeah, either way. I mean, that we should take credit for the fact that the patient's visual acuity improved because mm-hmm. it was the physician skill, the skill of the yeah. physician that resulted in that. He should be get rewarded for it. We should be given better pay for the environment, which mm-hmm. is what they're paying for as part of that technical component. Yeah. So that I can understand. We treat the patient well. The nurses do mm-hmm. a great job. Infections can There's be no tracked. Infections. Those exactly. Those are the types of things that we should be uh, rewarded for. But the visual acuity is, is clearly uh, on the part of the physician who actually perform mm-hmm. the procedure. So very uh, disappointing. We'll see if uh, I know the ASC Association is going to work on this, is going to uh, put some comments in, and we'll talk about that at the end here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's hope that that gets changed. And then they're proposing to implement the OAS CAPS program beginning in 2024, which we've talked quite a bit about. So that's the Outpatient and Ambulatory Surgery Consumer Assessment of Healthcare Providers and Systems. And the name of it is uh, just somewhat smaller than or shorter than the amount of time that people will have to spend uh, going into this. So the original versions of this included uh, well over 30 questions that would be asked of every patient. Mm -hmm. And, of course, when we put together, you know, patient survey, we try to keep people down to five. I mean, I think it's too many when you do can, ten. I know. Yeah. I know. And uh, yeah. and of course, we what you want is you want to get the good good mm-hmm. comments, and you want to get the you know the the comments that can help you pr- to improve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, and you can always start with general things if you can, and then if they see an area that's of concern, then maybe delve in a little bit more. But to start off with 30, 30 questions. questions yeah. or, or more, more it's than, well it's more than crazy. 30 questions. Yeah. yeah. It, and it tends to uh, to encourage only surveys of disgruntled patients mm-hmm. due to the excessive number of questions. You know, we're passionate about quality improvement. So I do try to take the surveys that I get. Mm-hmm. Like every time I take the car and I try to do, fill out those surveys. But I get very frustrated when, you know, they say, this will only take you 15 minutes. And then you get into it and there's 20 questions. I, yeah. I had a survey yeah. the other day where, you know, I finished like 10 questions and then it said, yes, you're eligible to take the survey now. <laughs> I'm already done. <laughs> yeah. But boy, if you were mad about something, you, you, you probably would have gone yeah. through, you know, I'll, I'll put in a complaint here and there, not very often, but if I have to, and I always think when, when somebody 
you know, I get really good service. I always tell myself I'll, I'll you know, yeah. say something. And sometimes I do, but it's just that motivation. Unfortunately, human nature, it's just right. not there as much. The other challenge with this is that you will have to pay an outside organization to do the surveys. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a number that are already approved by CMS to do this, but this will uh, be an added cost. I believe it's at least, I, I think I've been hearing numbers in the range of $5,000 just wow. to start it. So, uh, so this will be another cost factor. This we know we will not be able to stop. I mean, it's something mm -hmm. that will we have to be coming. implemented. Yeah. Uh, we always knew that it was coming. I think we, you and I predicted it actually in the podcast a couple, uh, weeks ago that it would uh, would be yeah. included. But I feel like it's also going to take away from, I mean, if you have this being done, is anybody going to also take your five-question um, survey that you want to do from the center where you know the issues and, and really are getting, I believe, without seeing their questions? But I feel like the things you can design for your own center are going to get much more applicable answers and things that you can address and fix. Which you can take I, I think on. we're going to lose good information and really just annoy our patients. Well, the rate of uh, compliance, I think, is also going to drop. Mm -hmm. Not that you know we have great uh, compliance yeah, in all centers true. right now anyway, but I do think that you're going to find fewer people responding, you, you, responding yeah. to these uh, these surveys. Yeah. So uh, we really encourage you to follow the ASC Association at the ASCassociation.org website. Uh, they are going to be taking the lead in, in responding to our concerns about this payment rule. So if you are passionate about it like we are, I really encourage you to uh, visit their website. And then I, I believe they're asking for uh, suggestions or people to write mm -hmm. in their comments about this. And the more that we can um, provide our feedback to CMS, the, the more likely that we will see some type of action on this. So, so we are so passionate about leadership mm -hmm. uh, in the surgery center and the challenges that we've all been having uh, with finding nursing leaders, with administrators, business office managers now, uh, has been quite problematic. The main reason that you and I created the two boot camps, and you know, hopefully we're going to do a business office manager boot camp uh, also in the near future. So during our retreat in May, Ann Geyer, Lori Rodericks, and I had an opportunity to sit down and just kind of open the mic up and talk about leadership. So we're going to take a short break and we'll come back and we're going to include that interview here. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. But did you know that you can enhance your experience and support the free podcast by becoming a patron member? Patron members have access to ASC Central, an add-on service at a very reasonable price. Patron members have access to our regular drop-in virtual meetings where you can discuss issues that you are dealing with in your ambulatory surgery center with the hosts and other members. Members also have access to valuable member resources, including a, a document library with a growing list of resources, including the rules and regulations, guides to maintaining compliance, example policies and procedures, infection control resources, example risk assessments, example committee and governing body minutes, and over 60 disaster drill scenario kits and example forms and checklists. Members also have access to some of the virtual conferences that we have presented, including the Provider Credentialing Conference, which we offered in December 2020. It's a New World Conference in 2020. Infection Control in-service to meet the challenges of COVID-19. And the ASC Mandatory Education Program, which is a valuable resource for annual education for your staff. Membership helps to defray the cost of producing the podcast, including the research staff, travel costs to conferences, equipment costs, and production costs. For more information, you may visit ASCPodcast.com. To become a member, visit ASCPodcast.com.
So I'm, I'm here with my dear friends, uh, Lori Rodericks, who is the Director of uh, Clinical Services for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies, and Ann Geyer, who uh, happened to be in the area and stopped by our studio. Ann Geyer is the uh, Chief Nursing Officer for uh, SIS. Uh, Ann, what do you think of this studio? Actually, uh, well, Laura, you were here before, so you saw the studio before. What do you think of this? Uh, well, this I had to come see what this was all about because, <laughs> as some of you have heard me say before, John was on the leading edge of virtual presentations when COVID hit. He was the best prepared and started out doing virtual conferences, full-day conferences, three-day conferences, podcasts, well before many, many other associations picked up on how to do it right. So I, I've always been curious, and what I come in, like. <laughs> you all should see the amount of equipment in his studio. Yeah. And there's just, there's computers everywhere, there's green screen and, and, and behind our And it's just an eight-by-eight eight room. <laughs> yeah, it's not a big room. I mean, and no, it's it even isn't. got a camera that focuses on Rosie, who has her own That's bed right. under here. The Rosie cam. <laughs> it is It is absolutely incredible, but um, no, it's um I'm gonna have to take some pictures to to show Carl when I get home because it's really pretty darn incredible. And the soundboard you've got in front of you, I don't know how you learned to use all this. Well, stuff. you know, I I, I was the, that geek in high school. Uh, that oh, did, I can't tell. Yeah, I, you still are. <laughs> still am. So the board that you have in front of you here is. Very similar to the boards that I used in high school when I was running, you know, doing the high school plays. Or well, that's what it looks yeah, like. As I, you know, it looks just like that. The funny and thing is, I used to rent these boards for the amount of money that I paid for them, I and that's how much technology really? has has gotten to the point. Uh, you know, I think I paid three hundred bucks for that. I, I bought this one used. It, it is time to replace this, but well, he's uh, got. We're looking at four microphones, all on <laughs> on pedestals that are movable. I think you have eight microphones, though, right? Yeah. I mean, y'all, this is in. Listen to my southern y'all. <laughs> it's very obvious that John's done it right, and he has good equipment, and he's doing a good job with this. So you're to be commended, and Thank I'm you. happy I got to come by here and see it. Well, I'm so happy you're here, and it and that really gets to the heart. One of the things that we had to do with the podcast and in our company, Ambitory Healthcare Strategies, and what you've had to do uh, as uh, you know, working with SIS, is we had to pivot. You know, we had a change from On the, a the dime. way that we were doing business before. And uh, just earlier today, I did the keynote for uh, the New Jersey Association. And one of the things I talked about is is how um, we as an industry were uh, best prepared for doing that pivot because we're used to having a change on a dime because our doctors demanded yes. it. And that's why we're in this industry. So I thought we would just start off this conversation by talking a little bit about the types of skills that we need to have. Our, this whole conversation is really about leadership and development, staff development, things like that. It's a broad topic. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll be talking for 45 minutes, I'm sure, and we'll still not cover all of it. But so I just wanted to uh, kind of open that up as our first discussion is what do you think, how do you think we have done during the pandemic and pivoting and where do you think we need to go from here? I think some people have done better than others. Everybody is not a natural leader. So you may have found yourself in a leadership position and you were kind of coasting along pre-COVID and then you had this hit and nobody expected it. We weren't prepared for it. We didn't have pandemic policies. That's where leadership mm -hmm. steps in. If you're a leader, you d you demonstrate initiative. You quickly you think quickly on your feet. You know how to do research. You know how to network with friends. You know where to go to for help. I say that because those are all qualities you need as a leader and a, and a manager in a surgery center. And it was one reason. And we're not we're not um, 
held down by bureaucracy. Right. We have a very flat organizational chart. So usually the administrator, whatever your title is, executive director, chief operating officer, administrator, whatever your title is, you know that there's not a whole lot of structure above you. Right. The doctors are looking to you to make the decisions, and you inform them of the decisions, and they back you up. But you better have good reasons for doing it. And then COVID comes along. And because we didn't have the bureaucracy of other institutions, example, hospitals, who it's like they said camel is a horse put together by a committee. (laughs) So you've got decision processes that go on forever. And even with COVID, when they were being forced to make quick decisions, they couldn't make them. And I think that that's one some of the problems that came about with occupancy, with equipment, with all kinds of things. We just took what we had and made it work. Now, we weren't given the option of staying open at the beginning, so we dealt with that. Then all of a sudden, HR came to the forefront because you have all these employees. You can't be open. What do we do? We pivoted. We didn't lay them off. For the most part, we furloughed them. Then we had to pivot again because if they're furloughed, you can't do any training. You can't do anything with them. You can't communicate for anything with the ASC. Now you're allowed to reopen, but they've been furloughed. Now they have to have had the complete training on COVID. They have to be current on all their informational offerings. What did we do? We did it. We did it. We did it by the rule. I mean, nobody cut corners on that. I love this industry. That's why I'm so passionate about it. And we have people in management and leadership positions in this industry that are stars in the field, in my opinion. And they dealt with this in their own manner, sticking to all the guidelines, but they got through it. Yeah. And we're, we're starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel. But if you're one of those leaders I'm talking about, pat yourself on the back because you deserve it. Yeah. If, if you're, you're not going to get it from your own, no, unfortunately. But. <laughs> but if you're one of the leaders that wasn't able to do that, yeah. many of you are long gone. A lot of you have already left. John and I have talked about this before. We lost administrators because they got overwhelmed and they didn't know how to pivot. They didn't know how to network. There's all these things that they weren't prepared to do. And they said, this isn't what I was cut out for. I didn't sign up for this. And they left. And so now you've got a center who's leaderless trying to hire somebody during a pandemic. And it's, it's awful. It's a bad situation. Or they're still there and they're miserable. No, that's true. And and the other thing, too, is that um, we've also lost a lot of leaders because they found that this was a good opportunity to retire. <laughs> yeah. um, and you know what? I, I won't I won't tell you that years ago um, when I worked in a hospital, the hospital offered a package for people to leave. Mm-hmm. And I believe they wanted to downsize what they considered their high earners, their yeah. top earners. And what they got was more than they ever bargained for <laughs> the number of people that had to leave on the same day. And a number of us, like in the operating room, that were brought back the next day as per diem. Yeah. Yeah. Doing you know, the same job. Right. Doing the Probably same job. Probably getting paid more. You know, <laughs> and, and that was just, you know, so... You know, you got to be careful, and I think COVID's given some people that um, that decision power that they're they're just walking away from it. And and 
you know, not picking on on um, senior type people, but a lot of people in those positions have been in them for a long time, yeah. you know, and, and we don't always think about grooming our own replacements. Well, and, and I think some people feel that that's a threat, you know, that mm-hmm. if, we, if we are training somebody, if we're teaching them our job, then our job is in danger. And I, I think there's actually the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned uh, well, I mean, I always feel that the best sign of a good leader, best sign of a good manager even, um, is that they can leave and somebody has uh, is ready to take on their job and be, you know, maybe they didn't do it as great. Maybe they're still learning from it. Uh, but the place doesn't fall apart when you leave. Uh, a, a bad leader is probably one who, when they leave, the whole place falls apart because nobody else knows their job. And we have to be prepared for, I mean, in the best of circumstances, some people have had to leave their positions now because they have to become a teacher now in their home. They have to stay home with their The priorities children. have changed. Or they're having to take care of older or and younger oh, the, people. Yes, absolutely. The, they, I had a physician tell me one time I'd been gone. I never took more than a week off at the time, at a time, but I'd gone to a meeting. So I may have been gone for 10 days total. And I came back, didn't get a single call while I was gone. My medical director came up to me and he said, how was your meeting? And we started talking about it. And I said, I never get a single call. He said, that's because you've trained your staff well. He said, that's the way it ought to be, that they shouldn't have to be calling you for everything. And you've got them all trained. It went smooth as clockwork. So Mm -hmm. I was happy to hear that. Yeah, no, it's uh, a good uh, way to take the temperature of your center. And then to take the temperature of your staff because you know that they're going to follow through and do their jobs uh, as you would expect them to, whether you are there or you're not there. Um, and so now we're finding a lot of centers uh, across the country, not not just locally, that um, are having trouble um, getting that leadership back or finding those um, persons that will fill the roles. And like you said, Ann, you, you, or John, the you're not necessarily doing it the same way as the prior person, but you still need to have the same um, focus as in the goals and, <coughs> and you know, the you know, you're getting the, the, the same mission. results, right? Yeah, the you same want to results. follow that vision, that mission of your of the center. How you get to it, you know, we're all different, you know. So everyone's going to be different on how they how they get there. Um, so it's it's tough, and and I think there's a lot of I don't know. I think there's a lot of nurses out there that are afraid to go into that role mm-hmm. um, because. We're not trained that way. We're not trained in school to be leaders. Right. I mean, you know, that's maybe, well, okay, I'm, I haven't been in school in forever. Yeah, about you know, 200 years, actually. Pretty so. much, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, maybe they are training nurses like that now, but we need leaders that can, can be both um, administrative and hands-on. I don't know if either of you know Bill Duffy. He's yeah. past president of AORN, mm. one of my close friends for years now. We've known each other. He's at Loyola now teaching in the master's program. And he did a survey of students, and he asked some of the industry experts about whether they would ever go into management. And overwhelmingly, his students who were going into master's program said, I would not go into management to save my life. I don't want those headaches. Yeah. 
they're looking to do something where they can function independently like nurse practitioner or go on to be a CRNA or whatever they're going to do, but they don't want management. And that's a bad sign for all of us looking for good managers. I mean, he said nursing is going to run into a really serious deficit where they go on and get their PhDs and they're going to do research. They're they're never going to work as a practicing nurse. Well, that brings up a very interesting point as we try to uh, fill the leadership gaps. Heck, right now we're just trying to to fill our our staffing Mm -hmm. gaps. Um, But leadership has become a major issue. I mean, that's one of the reasons that we at the podcast have – you know, develop the, the two boot camps. We have the, the nurse manager boot camp, which comes up in uh, the end of May, and then the uh, administrators boot camp, which we'll be doing the second time around uh, in August. And, and uh, uh, Anne, you have agreed to uh, join us on the uh, on the uh, administrators boot camp. And of course, Lori, uh, uh, you've uh, handed me all the speeches that you're doing for it. Thank you very much. Now I got to read all of them. Um, but <laughs> that's for the nurses, nurse manager, the nurse manager yeah. uh, boot camp. But uh, that's a sign of the times. That's a sign of how. How important and, and what a deficit we have. We know that you're not going to learn in college how to do this. We know that we we don't have the ability. I mean, it would be nice. I mean, better education would probably be, uh, you know, Lori, you're the you're the uh, uh, nurse manager at a surgery center, and you identify somebody, and you spend two years of your life showing them everything. That would be far better than what we're doing, you mm-hmm. know, with a boot camp. Yep. But a good second choice is perhaps probably the only choice we have. You're giving the them information and knowledge yeah. that they may not get anywhere else, and I'm sure we're going to provide them with a lot of networking opportunities to share knowledge. I think that one of my, I fell into management, it was an accident, and and I spoke at ASCA on succession planning, and I told my story there, but I I didn't think I'd, I'd never thought about being a manager. I never thought about ambulatory surgery, and and I'm not going to tell the story here. That's, we can do that on another podcast. But my nurses that wanted me to take this job as a a manager of a new HOPD were convinced I could do the job, and I couldn't see it. So my advice to any of you out there listening to this that you think you might want to be a manager or a leader of any any type, when there's a fork in the road, we know Yogi Berra said take it. Well, that's one way of looking at it. But always consider the implications of saying no. Mm-hmm. Because if I had said no at that time and not taken that job, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Right. So I wasn't sure I could do it. I was promised a lot of help, which now I am committed when I hire somebody yeah. to give them that training. And it's the best thing I ever did. So don't ever – and I counsel a lot of you. I call people that I help my mentees. When I have mentees out there that write me questions and want to know, should I do this? Should I do that? I said, if you don't do it, what are the implications? Because it may be a dead-end career. You may be stuck doing what, you've, what you're doing now. Stuck as in if you love it, that's fine. But if you don't like it, you may have missed your opportunity because you had somebody that really believed in you that wanted you to move up. So as we're sitting here talking about leadership, look for people who have the potential to be the next best thing in a leader in your facility. Mm -hmm. I have trained so many people, and people will say to me, why did you give them all this training? Why did you send them to courses? Why did you do this? You're going to lose them. I said, I'm going to lose them anyway because they're not going to be happy, and they're going to end up leaving, whereas now if they may be very thankful and stay, Mm -hmm. or they're going to get a great job somewhere, and I was responsible. How good is that? 
Yeah. Now that that's really a very good point too. Is that we have to take a much more altruistic look at this. It shouldn't be just self centered, where you know we're developing these people so that they can stay with us, uh, because uh, ultimately that might not be the best route for them. Uh, and the more that we can prepare them for being happy in life, I think that the, they'll remember that. And, and they'll pass that message on to other people, and those people might be yeah. appropriate. Well, in your people center. say to us all the time, I, I, my career path is to be in a leader, manager, whatever. Yeah. Or they say, I want to be who you are. Um, I want to be like you. But my thing is we have such a flat hierarchy in surgery centers that there's no room for advancement. Unless I'm getting ready to leave, mm-hmm. they're not going to get my job. So I can help them get to that position quicker if I agree to help train them and I'm only doing them a favor. Now, if I'm thinking of leaving, I may be training my successor. So it's a win-win for the center. I, and I think we also have to recognize that this, uh, well, before, uh, as we were sitting around the uh, the living room here, uh, they're at my uh, my home, which is also the studio, as we were sitting around in the living room talking about this, I, I, I think I joked with you guys, I should have just turned the microphone on up there. Um, we were talking about uh, the next generations, and I don't want to get into, you know, millennials and things like that, but I do want to talk about how things have changed. Because uh, we do have uh, – our employees of today are very different. And some of it is good. You know, we have uh, – I think there is a bit of a switch now toward more family orientation. We know, for example, that physicians in general uh, are not, you know, not the entrepreneurial type necessarily that we had. You know, They want to go home and have dinner with their family. And, and they want to be at the vacations. soccer games. They want to yeah. take vacations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, that, I, I would argue, is a pretty nice thing. You know, it's a pretty good thing. So we, as an industry – have to adapt to that. We need to be prepared. I mean, that's that's perhaps one of the things that will make ambulatory surgery centers so much more um, uh, appealing. Yes, I agree. Uh, with in the that. future, because that's what we're geared toward. Uh, so, t- so let's just kind of recreate some of our conversation there about leadership with our new uh, generation. How do we keep them? And and the reason I started the segueing off of what you said is. Um, in the, in the past, we've probably thought, I'm going to train this person and they're going to be with me for 40 years. Mm-mm. But now that's different. I mean, and I think we, we, gonna, we have to embrace it. If, if it means we only get two years out of it, it's better than getting zero years. Yeah, especially if they're a good employee. Mm-hmm. And I think loyalty to the company, they've all seen the boomer parents that got laid off as they got near retirement age because they were getting near the top. Of, if they weren't already at the top of their pay scale, companies let them go before they maxed out their retirement benefits and all of the other things. And they're saying, saying that's not going to happen to me. I don't want the gold watch and a pat on the back. Yeah. So I don't have to be loyal. And there are so many books out there about generational differences now. But, you know, one of the differences is that they don't have the loyalty to the companies they work for. Plus, there's not the negativity that used to be attached to changing jobs often right. is no longer there. Yeah. So job recruiters don't longer no longer look at that where you they had a different job almost every year as a negative. Yeah. They may see it as especially if it's a better job every right. year. That's initiative. So they look at that as those people are, they don't sit back and wait for the job to come to them. They're pursuing another job. But it makes it really hard when you're trying to keep a stable staff that understands the culture of the organization. That's getting lost in the shuffle. Well, and I think that does bring up a good point because as you said, uh, the the employee's loyalty to 
the employer is very different. But I do think there has been a shift also on the employer's uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, loyalty to the uh, employees. I, I don't know. It's a chicken and egg issue there, I think. <laughs> um, but clearly, uh, and, and of course, we're working with, uh, you know, physicians. We're not, you know, for the most part, we're not working with those big companies out there that have huge resources. So we have that challenge. Uh, but, the, you know, the, the, the people that are employing us, the people that are employing those employees, uh, have a very different attitude mm-hmm. now than they did in the past. They they don't even, you know, today nobody knows what a pension plan is really, meaning something where we're guaranteeing you a certain income at the end. Now They've everybody never heard has 401ks, of it. right? They've never heard of it. I mean, the generations that's working, that is, the last, I had a pension plan in the early 90s and in probably mid 90s, they changed it to a 401k. I haven't seen a pension plan since. Yeah. I also have friends that work for AT&T. And they've been retired for 10, 15 years, and they're still getting their full health benefits. Well, you know, is that fair? Well, yeah. they think it is because that's what the contract read. Right. But their new employees working for AT&T don't get that. So, yeah, there's a whole different perception about employee loyalty and company loyalty to the employees. Yeah. Well, I think I think in our situation in um, in healthcare, the one – thing we have going for us is the care because i think most of the people mm-hmm. that go into health care care right they they are they're committed. not necessarily not all of us right. are necessarily in it for the money to be honest well yeah. that's a definite yeah <laughs> um but but it's because they want to you know take care of people and if they have the opportunity to take care of people in an environment that takes care of them that's a win-win mm-hmm so I think that, you know, and I think of a lot of the ASCs um, have taken on that, that role for a while. But, you know, talk to the staff, find out what it is that they need. If, you know, if, if Ann can't come in till nine because the kids get on the bus at eight, but she can stay till four, that's, then do it. It, it, it. You, you know, you should you have to be, be flexible. flexible. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I mean, and that's that's an important way to look at it because, yeah, you they might not get the best benefits. And we know we know that ASCs don't necessarily pay as much as the hospitals and whatnot. But also sometimes the hospitals are more rigid. All right. You might have a, um, you know, be under a um what is it? Come on. Unions? Yes, thank you. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So I mean some of some of the um, hospitals or healthcare places, you know, have unions. Right. So then they stick to certain things, but unions come at a cost. Right. As well. Yeah, and when they go on strike, now everybody loses in primarily the patients. Patient. Yeah. You know, but but my point being is so you might pick uh, an ASC that um, you don't have all that extraneous cost to be a member mm-hmm. or but you are able to go to all the soccer games mm-hmm. you know because then in the winter time you don't have games but your colleague's son plays basketball so she gets or mm-hmm. he gets to go to all the basketball games and it's it's you know it's a Ask give yourself take. what's and important to exactly. you exactly yeah. you know, i always tell i when i would be talking to potential new hires um and this is just your staff in general um, what do you, what's important to you? Cause I can help give you quality mm-hmm. of life. Absolutely. Um, and, and then you have to really back it up. So sometimes that means you're the one working the shift yeah. because you promised some, 
something. And you don't want to go back on that because now you not only do you lose that person, but you might lose another person because they saw that you didn't follow through. I call I it's so funny that you say that because when I was a young manager, I said I created a monster because I that's my philosophy. I let people go to their kids' piano recitals and I let them go to their kids' soccer games and whatever and and we worked it out. And then it became an expectation on the part of the staff. So when I couldn't let them go because our patient volume was crazy and I had just enough nurses to cover, including me and staffing, now they're threatening to call in sick. And I thought, what have I done? Because now their expectation was, well, anytime I want to do something with my family, Anne's going to let me have the time off. I wanted to. But so my solution was to try to get a per diem to come in and and work Mm -hmm. their shift. But I was lucky because I had some really good per diems at the time that were really pretty flexible, even at the last minute. But boy, when some of them would just jump all over me because how awful I was to them. And I'm thinking, how could, where where did Uh, this derail? what, What I would do is I would be pretty open with the staff and say, this is your schedule. If you can find someone to cover you. Yeah. And so part of that onus went back on them. And they were really good about it. Yeah. Well, that's what we ended up doing. But the problem was get them to assume that responsibility. Oh, yeah. And I totally agree with you that they have to. This isn't an entitlement that you get to go to Mm -hmm. the soccer game. Therefore, if you want to go to the soccer game, it means that much to you. Anne's already in staffing. Then you've got to find somebody to cover for you. So That raises another interesting uh, point, too, is that the power now over that relationship, the scheduling, really has shifted away from us. I mean, let's be realistic here. Uh, as much as you've talked about ways to uh, mm-hmm. to control that, uh, just getting a body in the door sometimes is important. I mean, we, we've sometimes joked that, you know, the uh, the interview is, do you have a heartbeat and a license, you know, you're hired. And that's the wrong reason that's to the hire wrong reason somebody. to do it. But that is indeed what's happening in many places. The administrators so. are afraid. Yeah. They're afraid if they don't hire the first warm body that come fill that slot, they're going to have to fill that slot. Right. And a lot of them don't feel prepared to do that or don't want to do that. So they fill it with a body that now three months later hasn't worked out and they're faced with having to let them go. Now you've got a whole other issue to deal with. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. So, so there's two uh, two things in that conversation. Let's let's uh, pivot uh, again. Pivoting, I love that term. <laughs> uh, pivot to uh, to the issue of what do we do when we've made a mistake? Uh, and Lori, you know, you uh, in our company have had uh, the unfortunate job of having to tell management when you've been on site visiting, you know, that maybe that person that um, you talked to really shouldn't be in that position you've had you've had actually two situations recently where that you've had that very difficult conversation so talk about how um you handle it because you know you're really i'm still in therapy for that john (laughs) i know please don't bring it up (laughs) but it's, it's an interesting point because um in both cases you were the first person to speak up and yet it was a thought that many of us had. I, and in one situation, I'm going to take the blame on this one. I had interviewed that person and I said, yeah, I, I, I can work with this. But you you came back and you just said, this isn't going to work out, John. We need to tell the client that. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because, like I said, I'm mean. Remember, guys? <laughs> I, I, or maybe that was in a different podcast. Um, but, but, you know, again, 
it's it's not worth it, right? Yeah, it, it's just not worth it. And, and you can try to make it work. And, and sometimes you just know in your gut whether it's going to or not, you know, but you give the person opportunities. You, you, you give them every potential to succeed because that's important because you've, you've already invested the time, the energy, the money. Um, but, but sometimes it doesn't work and you, and you have to be willing to say, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have hired them. Or if you can find a different role for them, which I've done, I've had to do in the past with, uh, um, an employee that I hired who was it, excellent nurse, just wasn't cut out to be in the operating room. Um, but I was very fortunate that um, my center also did GI. She was phenomenal in the GI center because she was a people person. Mm-hmm. And she was able to have that contact that she needed to have with her patients. And she excelled. But I was lucky. That was that was lucky. And well, sometimes it's better lucky than good. My example for that same kind of thing is moving them to a different position. I'm in a center in Florida, and I walk. It's one of my centers. I walk by the front desk, or in the business office. They didn't have cubicles; all the desks were open. And I walk by this person who says, "I just hate asking people for money." And I thought, "What?" So I backed up. And I said, "Chris, what's your job description?" She says, "I'm a, I'm the collector." And I said, and you hate asking people for money? She said, you don't know how much I hate asking people for money. But she was a great employee. Mm-hmm. So we switched her with another employee in the business office, and it was like a rose blooming. Yeah. She just came out of her shell. She was happy, and the other girl had no problems with She was perfect. She'd do it tactfully, was nice to the patients, and got the money in. It's, mm-hmm. But you got to do it quickly. You mm-hmm. can't you yeah. you can't spend six months to right. a year yeah. training somebody. It's not going to work out. You can pr- pretty well figure it out. I work with Sandy C a lot from C Management out of Orlando. He's an HR specialist. He used to say, "Cut your losses and cut them quickly." Yeah. He said, "So as soon as you realize that, you just call him in the office and say this isn't working out. If your state allows it, if you can let people go like that and just say I need you to. And this is your last day. You don't That's say right. two weeks from now is your last mm-hmm. day because they can do a lot of damage. So you say this is your last day. Most of the time they will have known it was coming yeah. and they may f- act like they didn't, but they will. And I've unfortunately I've had to do that. It's hard. But you go to their lockers with them, make sure that there's nothing in their locker that they're taking that belongs to the center, yeah. and out they go. And try not to embarrass them. Do it at right. the end right. of the day or on a Friday. But Well, you know. and, and isn't it true – sorry. No, Lori, no. But 25 years ago, I had to fire somebody who uh, – he, he was a, a male who – let's face it, he was a bit of a chauvinist – working as one of only three men in the surgery center. Uh, it was not working out. He was not happy. The the nurses certainly weren't <laughs> happy, uh, and uh, it was uh, an environment that he needed to move on to. And I can remember, uh, unfortunately, the nurse manager uh, uh, somehow scheduled a vacation when it was time for her for him to be let go. Uh, I, I'm sure that was purely a coincidence, uh, and it was my job. And and I realized when I was sitting down with him, first of all, he was a big guy, so I was a little bit scared of him. Uh, but but I realized I, I have an opportunity here to talk man to man. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and I, that's why I said, listen, this is not working for you. Uh, you're not happy, right? He says, no. Uh, and, you know, let's face it, the nurses don't treat you very well because 
you're not happy and it's obvious to them. Uh, you know, you really need to find another opportunity, something that, that is going to fit with your belief system, with what you can do. Uh, and, uh, and, and you're going to be happier and we're going to be happier here. And I said, unfortunately, I have to let you go, but I'm hoping that you're going to take this and learn from it. Uh, the funny, uh, uh, end to that story is about two years later, I'm boarding a plane at the Rochester airport and I, I'm taking, I, I'm, it's one of those small planes that, you know, you walk outside, you have to walk up the steps and before you walk onto the plane, you have to hand your luggage to somebody. Well, I handed my luggage to him. You're kidding. (laughs) No, no, I can't make this up. And can you imagine like if that, I mean, we had a a wonderful, you know, two minute conversation. I was so happy for him. He was obviously, you could tell he was enjoying his job. And my luggage did get to the destination. (laughs) Didn't end up in Japan. (laughs) Did not end up in Japan. But but that's the thing is that, you know, cut it fast. Uh, but also do it in such a way that you said it, Anne, that you, you save their dignity, yes. you make it as private as you can, uh, and don't, as much as possible, I mean, it's never going to be a good situation, but as much as possible, help them to understand where you're coming from and help them to understand it's for yeah. everybody's best interest to move on. I'm sorry, Lori. No, no. I, 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 years ago when I was in the hospital, I took over, you know, as the the board person, you know, running the the board in the in the OR and, mm-hmm. and you know... Uh, it, I don't know. I became even meaner, and um, <laughs> you know, possible? I know, and you know, I, I didn't realize that. And you know, I got called into the you know the director and the nurse manager's office, and they said, you know, we're going, we don't think that this is right for you. And you know, I was crushed. You know, oh my god, how? And I was embarrassed and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I walked out of that office, and I felt like I lost a hundred pounds. Yeah. I never realized how unhappy I was doing it and obviously I wasn't doing a good job but you don't realize you don't know that at the time Um, and it was the best thing they could have done and who would ever think that you'd say thanks 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 for for telling me I stink (laughs) but but it was it was a really good opportunity and and a good learning um, experience and and now here I am sitting with you John Um, I don't know it's you know you come full circle I need to talk to you after this (laughs) And help me. <laughs> we'll gang up on him, Lori. <laughs> but, well, you know, yeah. it's so sometimes it works for the best. And you yeah. don't, you, we don't, we don't realize how things are going to turn out until mm-hmm. we realize how things turn out. Well, do all of you listening to this have a plan for your next career? Have you all heard when I used to go to AORN every year when I was a delegate, there was a speaker that came out one time and said, every day that you go to work, you should be planning for your next career. So what did he mean by that? Was that as a nurse, you're going to be a manager or as a manager, you're going to be an executive? Mm -hmm. Or might it mean if I really could do what I want to do, I'd save money, go back to school and become a school psychologist? Mm -hmm. I mean, what's in the back of your head? And I think, Lori, when you're saying you didn't realize what stress that job had created for you, in some cases, you could just land on your feet and say, this is the best thing that ever happened to me because now I can be, I can pursue plan B. And I think that um, most people don't do that. But if all of us on this call were to sit there and think about what would I do if I wasn't doing what I'm doing today, mm-hmm. what a list of possibilities that w- that would open. You could call it your bucket list of careers. Um, it's just amazing to me that I'm still working because I still love what I do. Mm-hmm. But um, I love to teach and I love to speak and so I'm in a career that allows me to do that. 
But if I wasn't, I'd find something else to do. Right now, it's pickleball. For those of <laughs> I play pickleball, and I've just learned it, and I love it. And spent um, an awful lot of time petting our dog. Oh, right? I Rosie love it. Yeah, Rosie and I have bonded, <laughs> bonded, let me tell you. And I got to see Tinker, your dog. Yes, doggy. that's I, I right. I haven't been able to visit with her yet. You know, it's funny, you, you, Laura, you were talking about your um, experience of being fired. So so here's an admission. I, I wasn't think I have... fired. I was just demoted. Demoted. <laughs> oh, you, let, you were still in the same place. Yeah. So oh, I, I stayed on circulating and, and whatnot. It was just that, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't have all that other yeah. stress. And it wasn't the right time no. for me. It wasn't the right time right. for me. And and that's a good and, – and as you said, you landed on your feet. You moved on. I, I was actually fired from, uh, you know, one of my first jobs in the industry. Now, the reason I was fired is because I hated the people I was working for. I disliked what I was doing. I didn't <laughs> trust them. Uh, but I didn't see that fast enough they saw it before i did oh, and yeah. and that's i mean that was a huge lesson i took away from that and the best thing it was horrible it's horrible i mean anybody that has been fired knows that it's a horrible thing it's it's very difficult on your uh on your emotion on your oh, psyche because yeah. you you immediately start thinking of the worst but you know within 24 48 hours i had a plan and i landed on my feet and 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 i was uh, by the way uh, you know uh, um you know, I, I went on to obviously uh, do, do uh, you know, many different things over the years. And, and the job that I took after that, uh, I left because of career counseling. So this is kind of a funny story. And uh, to your point is that the, uh, the owners of the surgery center uh, hired a, a career counselor um, for the best really? of intentions. Yeah, they were trying to. Uh, it wasn't so much targeted to me. It was really targeted for the nurse manager. and uh, But they wanted me to have different skills, to be able to mentor the nurse manager uh, into her future. They felt that she was weak and they really needed um, some more skills there. So they, they hired this, uh, this, uh, um, this career counselor who unfortunately was not very good. Uh, at his job, as I know now. But it was interesting. So I went through this uh, this process of identifying what I liked about life, and uh, two, a couple things came out of it. One is that uh, that I had a career in the future as a minister, which, of course, I am. And another thing is that I did not like being an administrator so much. I liked the consulting side. I didn't like being tied down to one job. Uh, and indeed, I liked when things weren't going right. I hate to admit that now. Uh, but that's, of course, all I do as a consultant now is I take care of problems. And and that came out in the career counseling. So these poor owners who hired a career counselor to enhance my career with the surgery center uh, two months later had my resignation because the career counselor had recommended that, uh, well, uh, basically said, you, you know, on. Y- you need to move on. Uh, oh, and uh, they, they quickly fired him, by the way. But but that was as much as that I didn't really like that particular individual. I did learn a lot from it, and it was, of course, a, a career changing thing. Yeah. Uh, but I, I like what you're saying there, what your, your emphasis that uh, no matter where you're heading, uh, it is important that we as employers and you as an employee find things that are going to be satisfying to you. Well, I always like once I discovered <coughs> international travel in the mid 90s. Quite accidentally, but I discovered I went to Paris. That was my first international travel, and I've never stopped since. Been to all seven continents. So what do I do now? I work in a job where I travel, mm-hmm. and people say, "Don't you hate traveling?" And I never thought of it till five minutes ago when we we're talking about yeah. this. I love to travel. So no, even if it's domestic, and even if I'm staying in hotels three nights a week, I like to travel. It mm-hmm. it doesn't. There's always places to go that I've never been, mm-hmm. people to meet that I've never knew. 
I love to learn. So how do you do things? Oh, you've got a better mousetrap than I have. Let me see how you do that. And so it just fits. Those two came together without me even being conscious of it. Right. And um, here's another uh, a key takeaway, I think, for all of you out there that are leaders or are in the process of learning to be leaders and whatnot. I found it important to always share with um, the next person. Um, I still maintain uh, a close relationship with my very first center. Mm. Um and they will reach out to me and ask questions and whatnot, and which is which is fine. I don't have an issue with that. Um, unfortunately, my other center uh, is no longer in existence, so so we don't have a very good relationship, <laughs> so to say. By the way, the one that fired me, by the way, <laughs> they're gone now too. Right. But but some of the staff from that center, we will still stay in touch, yeah. and you know it's important because. You want to keep those doors open because if you're going to help someone get into that position and either take over for you or, you know, go into, go, you know, become the leader, then it's really good that they have an anchor. Mm -hmm. And that's who you are as the original leader. You're the anchor. And you might not have the answers, but just some time, just the thought that they can reach out to you and you just say, hey, how you doing? I don't know, but maybe I'll try to get that answer for you. That's maybe all they need. Mm-hmm. You know, just the fact that you're still there and it's it's a, a nice deep breath for them. Yeah. Um, so I, I found that that's really important. You know, we well, talked about why, mentorship and, and stuff. Networking. And networking. That's why it's so important to network. Yeah. And the three of us have huge networks in the ASC industry. Mm-hmm. And I think that what happens is if you're a people person, and even if you're not, you can still have a network. But if you're a people person and you care about what other people do, then when you do lose a job or mm-hmm. your center closes or whatever, You've got a huge network mm-hmm. out there of people that can help you. This industry is not as big as it seems. Right. I mean, we'll throw out names, and one of the three of us knows that person. Yeah. It's just like because people who are passionate about this industry are involved in this industry. Right. So the biggest mistake someone can make is being isolated and, mm-hmm. and staying to themselves and not going to meetings and meeting people and trying to find out what other people do. Yeah. And then when they would ever need to do that it's like i don't know anybody where do i I go now i was with a new nurse um manager yesterday and one of the things that i said was i don't know if your center is involved in your state association but make sure you become involved Mm -hmm. i don't know if your center is involved with maybe even ASCA, but if they are then you become involved because then you're going to have a lot of people that you can reach out to. Mm -hmm. And you might have questions. And, yeah, the surgical center next door might not help you, but the one that's 200 miles away might. Absolutely. And and then you get that relationship and and that trust, and you can bounce things off of each other. That's one of the things that, you know, whether you're on Ask a Connect or if you're an an endo center and you're on um, the SGNA um, talk site, you know, you have people going back and forth with each other. We all have the same questions at, at some point in our career. And now you get 12 different answers and one of them might be what you're looking for mm-hmm. or you can mold it to help the situation that you're in. So, you know, don't feel like you're alone. 
because I know you do often feel that way. But, you know, it's it's hard. So, you know, reach out and, and yes, network for sure. Well, it's the two boot camps that are coming up, the nurse managers and the administrators boot camp, you will have an opportunity to network. Mm-hmm. We will be sharing information and asking for your permission to share right. contact information. I taught in the AORN administrators skills camp for years, for 20 years, I think we talked about today. And still do, although with COVID, it's all it's all virtual now. Yeah. But at the end of every course, people would get together and exchange emails. And yeah. then they create a group email. That group email would go out. Some of the other instructors, because the instructors were all included, would say, what am I getting these emails from? And I said, because you remember that email sheet we said <laughs> we would participate in? Though that relationship still goes yeah. on today with many of those centers mm-hmm. so or those people that participated don't undervalue that. So if you haven't signed up for the boot camps, get your little selves signed up right now because it's going to be that important. Well, and we are going to continue the boot camp. So we have the administrators boot camp coming up in August, the uh, nurse managers boot camp. I don't know when this is going, this recording is going to go oh, out. It, right. it might be uh, filled by that point, but uh, we will have another nurse managers boot camp if I convince, can convince Lori uh, to uh, dedicate another f- week of her life to it. Uh, and we're also going to have, so there is, in addition to the boot camp in person or, or uh, virtually, uh, you know, four days in August, we do have a, a self-paced administrators boot camp also that's available now. And again, all on our, our website at ASCPodcast.com. But I, I wanted to, uh, you know, we talked about in the beginning how there is no, well, I can't remember if we talked about it here or not, but we, you know, there is no college on how to become an administrator. No. There is no college course on how to become a nursing director in a surgery center. Uh, and it's not likely that that's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, so that's why things like the boot camp are important. But as I've said before, it's not enough. I mean, the reason uh, the boot camp is important because we often don't have the opportunity to mentor somebody. Let's face it, the best way to do this, the best way to develop an administrator or a nurse manager is to to find somebody and spend, I mean, literally a couple years. Yeah. It's got to be a couple years. It's not something you learn right away. And even if you, you separate, you continue that relationship. That's mm-hmm. right. Yep. So I, I think I just want to kind of end here, uh, and we're already inching up towards to an hour here, by the way. Um, I do want to end by talking about the importance of mentoring. Uh, and uh, granted, it's it's not going to work in all places, especially when we know that our the longevity of many of our employees are not going to be very long. But let's just talk about ways that we can mentor, even if it's for a short period of time. And I want to emphasize not only mentoring leaders, but also the regular, I mean, the, the mm-hmm. employees that come in and our staff. Well, I first of all, I want to comment on Lori made the comment about choose your preceptors carefully. Yeah. That's one of my pet peeves is that you the preceptor and the person being mentored, the personalities don't match, and it's just like oil and water. But I think once you've identified a good preceptor that goes to the mentor, they become their rock. That's who they go to with everything, and they they can share. They need to have that trust that whatever they share with their preceptor is going, something's going to be done about it. It can be that when I'm in this room, X treats me like dirt, Or when, you know, I don't think sterile processing is doing the instruments correctly, whatever it is, that that person trusts you. But teaching them the correct way to do things Mm -hmm. and and letting them know that the patient always comes first, that in our centers, we do work very quickly, especially if we're in a quick throughput center. 
That being said, we don't short the patient any care. That patient's not being shuttled out the door. Um, like I used to get when ner- hospital nurses would come to my centers and they'd say, this is unsafe patient care. You send them home way too quickly. Ask the patient instead who comes out of surgery. 20, they've been fast-tracked. 20 minutes later, they're ready to go home. The next day on their call, said, I'm so glad I was able to go home and get my own bed. That's, look at the take on that. One nurse is saying this is unsafe care. The patient's saying that's the best thing you did. So how do you mentor that? You teach the patient in pre-op that we're sending you home quickly Mm -hmm. so that you can recover at home quickly. And if you want to watch TV, you're in your own home or read a book or whatever, let them know that's the expectation. They're not going to feel like they got rushed out the door. Mm -hmm. So, If they know that that was the purpose in doing that. That's right. Exactly. Not that it's because you don't have enough beds and you're just trying to get people out of here. But I think I love to mentor people. Once you've assessed their level of skills, then you pick up on the skills they already know, and you don't mm-hmm. need to do a lot of reinforcement. They got it. But what do they still need help with? And constantly dialogue. What do you need help with? What have you not seen that mm-hmm. you need? And it, part of that should be on the orientation checklist. What has somebody not shown you? Oh, they didn't show you how to use the C-arm or, you know, well, that might be big if you're in orthopedics, and then the doctor's yelling and screaming at you and So anyway, well, one of the big things, too, is that um, your mentor might not be a um, a colleague from the same playing field. Your OR nurse can learn a lot from the surgical tech. Absolutely. Um, So, you know, there is also that. So you might want to take the tech to mentor the, the new circulator on what we open, here's our preference cards, here's why we don't open, because when you come from a hospital, I think I still have um, blue towels and (laughs) sheets, you know, because we've, we opened so much, so much choice. And back then, you know, you were allowed to take it, Mm -hmm. um, you know, because we, we didn't have, there was no such thing as infection control back then. Too bad you didn't uh, take an awful lot of uh, like masks at that time. I know, if only I'd known. (laughs) But, but, you know, that's... Or toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> but your suggestion about that... Yeah, that could... My, when I entered the operating room years and years and years ago, my mentor was a surgical tech. Mm-hmm. And after I read the policy manual, they put me with... Her name was Ginger. They put me with Ginger and I learned to scrub. Mm-hmm. And I became one of the best scrub nurses they had. At, it was a hospital in those days. Best hospital scrub nurses in there. And then I was, we were married and I was pregnant and started getting sick when I was still on my feet. I had to circulate. I never, ever loved circulating like I love scrubbing. But that surgical tech taught me the right way to do everything. Correct. You know, so, so again, it, you know, you know your staff and pick your champions Mm -hmm. and they're just going to have your, they're going to create your new champions. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. You know, and that's all from within. You know, and then, you know, you might see someone that is going to rise to your level or to your position or, you know, you might be um, upgraded or if, if it is such a thing to administrator, um, <laughs> you know, given more headaches. Sentenced, I think. Yeah. Right you know, so now you need a, a new nurse manager. Well, you've probably got a handful of really good um, candidates. And so... Hopefully, you've been nurturing them them along so that they can step into that position and you're right there to help them. 
you know, so it's, it's just stuff like that, you know, and, but then you also have to know the, um, your audience is the staff going to accept that person. You know, unfortunately that's, that's key too, because, you know, then you don't want a rebellion, you know, you might have someone that you think is the best, but if they don't get along with three quarters of your staff or all the doctors dislike this person, you know, so, you know, you, you've got to take everything, look at the whole picture, not just, as John said before, not just a warm body. And I'm not saying that your employee is a warm body, but you don't want that same situation even when you're hiring from right. within. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us here. I know that... Uh, Can I've... you take the handcuffs off now? <laughs> and we're never at a loss for words. No, we aren't. I was worried. Are we going to fill in, uh, you know, 20 minutes and we're at 52? But... But I really appreciate your taking the time. We're certainly going to do this more often. Unfortunately, so. we're not always together, certainly, no. but uh, we have other ways of doing it. And uh, uh, it is, uh, I will just say, uh, you know, fun. having you guys as colleagues in this industry is really what makes so it makes all this industry well. great. It is. Yeah. So thank you for your time. Oh, thank you're you. welcome. Thank you. In this segment, we discuss other learning opportunities in the ASC industry. If you would like your event to be included in the podcast, please send the event information to info at ASCpodcast.com. So as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, the ASC Podcast Infection Control Oversight 101 will be uh, this coming Friday, July 23rd, 2021. And Infection Control Oversight 201 will be on Monday, July 26, 2021. For more information, go to the ASCpodcast.com or follow the links in the show notes. And it's important for me to note, while we were recording here, I got a phone call from somebody that mm-hmm. uh, is signing up for both of those conferences, yeah. and they asked me if they will have access to the recording afterwards. And I don't know why I'm not getting that point across, but it is mm-hmm. included in the information yeah. there, but I'll state and it And we've right had here. several questions, too. I don't want many, to many put this people. on her. No, no. <laughs> I, I, I was Everybody's joking. Asking. I just don't know what I'm, <laughs> I'm doing wrong. It's clearly me. It's clearly <laughs> I'm making a mistake here. But we do want to emphasize that even if you uh, can't attend any of the conference mm-hmm. on Friday or Monday, uh, sign up for it anyway, and you'll have full access. And then we will also be selling it uh, later on. Yeah, because it's so rare when somebody can actually take the time to just sit and listen the whole time. That's right. You're always going to get pulled out. I think it's only you and I and Lori that are able to do that. And even you and I sometimes have to take some time away. Yeah, our dog Rosie, she comes and bothers, you know, (laughs) got to go take her out. So the Administrators Boot Camp, the August cohort, is August 17th through the 20th. It's a four-day virtual conference, including um, other benefits such as books, access to our database, and weekly drop-in sessions. And Sue, we are having so much fun with those drop-in sessions, too. Mm-hmm. I do want to emphasize so uh, that uh, if you are a patron member of the podcast, you mm-hmm. have access to these drop-in sessions. But mm-hmm. all of our boot camp members, uh, since the beginning of time, I don't yes. know when we'll eventually yep. cut that off, but all of them are, uh, are able to access this weekly mm-hmm. drop-in, and we have a lot of fun during it. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't had a whole lot of people join, but Lori's been coming in, too, a lot of times. Yeah. And I'll tell you, the ones that do join, they have really good access to you guys. That they and do. they have a lot of good questions. And, and you and know, they, we learn the way, from them, and they get to learn a lot from you. So it's a great opportunity. And, and so here's the other kicker, is that they have been passing their surveys with flying colors. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. there you go. Yep. And the AORN Expo 2021 is August 7th through the 10th. 
2021 in or at the Orange County Convention Center in Orlando, Florida. And I we had hoped to attend the one in 2020, but of course that didn't happen. So uh, we're not going to be able to to go to this one here. But we will talk in the future about mm-hmm. trying to get to the 2022 yeah. one. And our friends over at the California Ambulatory Surgery Association has have their 2021 annual meeting, which is going to be September 8th through the 10th, 2021, at the Hyatt Regency Huntington Beach Resort and Spa in Huntington Beach, California. And Sue, it does look like we're not going to be able to go mm-hmm. to it, unfortunately, just because of the logistical issues of getting across the country. And, yeah. uh, um, you know, it, it just uh, it doesn't look like it's going to be possible mm-hmm. with our equipment and car rentals yeah. and all of that. So we tried, but... Uh, we do. We really enjoy it. So we've just yeah. been kind of saying, we're going to be there. But then when we really sat down and looked at it, we it, just with the schedule and everything. So yeah. and we will try again too. next year. It is going to yeah. be very expensive for somebody that's not, you know, from the state of California. Yeah, just to get there. And the Illinois Ambulatory Surgery Center Association's annual meeting is in September the 22nd at Sheraton Lyle Naperville Hotel in Lyle, Illinois. And the Ohio ASC Association's conference will be at the Hilton Columbus Polaris on September 27th and 28th. And uh, they're going to be hosting this two-day event featuring an exhibit hall and two full days of education. And I am honored to be their keynote speaker this year. Mm -hmm. That's a great conference. The New York State Association of Ambulatory Surgery Centers live and in-person Roaring Twenties Conference will be held at the Sleepy Hollow Hotel and Conference Center in Terrytown, New York. That's a... Beautiful it's a beautiful place. site. And you and I, well, we love Terrytown anyway, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. just as a vacation spot, let alone going for a conference. Yeah. So for more information, visit nysaasc.org. And we should note that it's uh, September 29th and 30th. I think we forgot to mention that. We did, yep. We yeah. And we're going to have a very heavy presence there. We're going to have mm-hmm. our own podcast room. Uh, we might record live. Hard to tell at this point as we're mm-hmm. trying to figure out the technology. Un- unlike California, we will be able to drive there, so uh, yeah. we'll have our full studio equipment. And the Washington Ambulatory Sur- Surgery Center Association's annual education conference and trade show will be November 4th through 5th, 2021, at the Tulalip Resort and Spa in Tulalip, Washington. The Pennsylvania Ambulatory Surgery Center Association's annual meeting is November 8th, 2021, at the Hershey Lodge in Hershey, Pennsylvania. So that's it for this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. Join us again, and please consider becoming a patron member by going to our website at ASCPodcast.com and spread the word about our podcast with your friends and colleagues and do us the honor of hitting the subscribe button. Also remember, the patrons of the podcast uh, get a lot of different benefits, including mm-hmm. access to a database, you know, these weekly drop-in sessions that we sponsor, and just access to us, uh, much higher access than you have, just by listening to us. And it's a very reasonable monthly cost. The sound editor for this episode is Susan Cronkite. Executive producer is John Gailey. Research assistance is provided by Susan Cronkite, Jenna Alvarez, Judy D'Ambrosio, Alex Borneman, Zach Calritis, Amy Durbano, Lori Rodericks, and Ann Geyer. Music is provided by Media Sushi and Mike Noah. And the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is hosted on Podbean and is available on all major podcast channels. We would like to thank our sponsors, Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers and ambulatory healthcare strategies, the nation's leading regulatory compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. This podcast has been an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as nor does it constitute legal advice or opinion. 
When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.